to engage the Christmas story. And that is looking at it from the book of Revelation. Let me give you a couple of thoughts as we begin, just on a personal note. One, I still feel like I'm talking in a uh, vacuum in a chamber. I've got a cold, and so if my voice kind of goes up and down a little bit, you can just let me know in the back if you can't hear, because I can't tell how loud I'm talking uh, in this, and I don't have a lot of voice, so I may be a little quieter uh, than at normal, uh, normal Sundays. Second thing is as we talk about these truths, I want you to always have in mind the practical application of them. So we're going to be talking about imagery. We're going to be talking about cosmic battles and and wars uh, and things uh, of that nature. But um, I I want us to to come back and to really consider how it applies to us each day. And and as we do that... um, I want to get back to the order of worship, which I just noticed I skipped a whole section uh, on there about prayer uh, for the church and then the Lord's Prayer. So uh, I'll preempt myself uh, on this, and we'll get back to that introduction in a moment, uh, because I do want us to pray. I want prayer to be a big piece uh, of what we do here, and um, there's a lot going on in your lives. I noticed several of you recovering from surgeries and see you around, others of you wrestling with different things personally and privately. Uh, lots of different stuff going on, and I, I fully believe in the power of prayer, and, um, but praying in light of the realities about a lot of the things that we're talking about today, uh, that the victory has been won, that we have great confidence and hope in that, and so with that in mind, why don't we go to the Lord now and just uh, pray and ask him to intercede on our behalf and those in our church, and then I'll close us, and together we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Uh, Father. Um, Help us today now by the power of your spirit uh, to be reminded of your greatness and your awesomeness in our midst. Father, that um, you do give commandments and they they are too much in a sense that we um, we can't obey them all perfectly. And yet we're reminded that it's in our brokenness and our weakness that you are made perfect and strong. And we see that Christ did do these things perfectly on our behalf. And that's our great hope uh, is in him. So, Father, we give thanks again today for Christ and for the peace that we find in him. God, I pray for our church. There's a lot of different things going on in our lives. And there's a lot of different stories that uh, are being written in such a way that are difficult for some. Uh, Father, there's illness and there's surgery, there's fatigue, there's just the the weight of life sometimes bearing down on us, and we pray that you would lift us up today, uh, that you would be our strength and our hope, uh, that you would remove, uh, as it were, uh, any darkness that's in our lives. We pray that in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit, and that we would see you in a powerful way. God, that you would be victorious in our life today. God, there are some in our church who wrestle with addiction and and wrestle with sins of the past that continue to bind, and we pray that you would break those patterns, that you would break those bondages, and that we would see freedom come from where you are. God, that you would do immeasurably more than we ever could have asked or imagined. Father, there are some in our church and marriages that are alive and doing great and just celebrate and love being in love and love uh, growing old together and seeing you work within the children and grandchildren. And Father, we bless you for that and we thank you for the gift of marriage. But there are others who have just given up hope in their marriage. They've just settled 
that they're roommates and they're just going to make it through the best they can. Father, I pray that you would revive those, those hearts and revive those marriages and remind them of vows that taken and how you love to surprise us by renewing our love even in our, our, ancient, our, our older years. Father, we pray uh, that you'd be very active in our families. All those little ones who were up here and for the teenagers and young adults who are with us, Father, you'd protect them and keep them, that they would see you and they would live for you and know that you love them and are passionate about them. And Father, I pray for our church, that we'd make a difference in the world. Father, that we would we'd see lives changed because Hilton Head Presbyterian Church exists. And Father, if we were to go away tomorrow, that this church would be missed for its impact in the community and in lives around us. Would we be a hope in this season uh, for those who have no hope? Uh, Would we be a pointer to the true God for those who are caught in a secular view of just holidays and not seeing the true king has come? Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask now that you would bless our time together as we open your word. And we lift this prayer in Christ's name and pray together the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so now we come in light of that of God's protection and his work within our lives to this great story. And as I mentioned last week, uh, for some of you, you may not get fired up about stuff like this, but for me, coming up this week, there's a really uh, cool movie about to come out called The Hobbit. I grew up reading the stories of J.R.R. Tolkien. I grew up around uh, the table uh, every night reading C.S. Lewis and of Narnia and of and these worlds that were depicted by these men and the imageries of greatness and the imageries of good and of evil, of Smog the dragon uh, and of Bilbo Baggins who comes in and the ring and all uh, of the essence of evil that it was and its impact and, and all of those things. And some of you are going, you have no idea who these these you need to read the books, and I'd encourage you to go see the movies. But it's these huge pictures. Well, that's what we're talking about here today. It's huge images and pictures of stories of a woman in childbirth, and of a red dragon, and of angelic forces, and of archangels, and of, of rivers, and of mountains, and of all of these things taking place in a cosmic form and in a cosmic way. I grew up in a home that was a traditional home and that we celebrated Christmas in those traditional ways and you would read the sweet little Christmas stories and Jesus was the wonderful little baby and and we would go to the live nativity scenes and there were the nice little shepherds who came around and they were all well kept and then uh, some really neat men dressed in fanciful way would walk in with frankincense and gold and myrrh and and there'd be an angel and it was kind of neat, it was sort of just nice. Do you think that's how it really was? Can you imagine being one of the shepherds and being out there on that hillside and the heavens opened up and you saw the angelic beings singing? What do you think that would have been like? 
They weren't these little, you know, fat cherubs with little things just going around and singing some sweet angelic voices. These were the angels of heaven. It says that they were fire themselves and that when men saw them, they would fall in front of them and they were there in front of these things and it was just this spectacle of spectacles because they were announcing the birth of someone incredibly important. And it was so much so that the, that the shepherds were beside themselves and they didn't know what to do. And so it was that they went and they found and they worshipped. Uh, and there's this whole cosmic thing that's taking place. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, is picking up on this idea of the cosmic Christmas story, uh, of what's taking place outside of time. And I know that's hard for us with our infinite minds, that we are bound by time. Some of you are already thinking about time. How long is the sermon going to be? I've got to be somewhere at one o'clock. I've got something to do later on today. You're thinking in terms of time. That's how we are. You can't help it. This story is outside of time. It's a picture of eternity. Condensed in this little story fashion, but covering thousands of years from all of creation to the birth of Christ to his death on the cross to his ascension and his eventual return, all caught up in these few verses together. And so you've got to get into that mindset a little bit. And I'm going to reread this passage uh, for us this morning, and I want you to be reintroduced to some of the characters who are in here. And what we're going to talk on particularly today is this idea of a battle. Now, we've talked about this a little bit before when we were looking in Galatians about the battle that we're in, and I want us to be reminded of that because it is to our peril to believe that there's no battle. It is dangerous for you as a believer, as a Christian, and it's dangerous for you as one who may be seeking and isn't a Christian to think that you don't have an enemy who's against you and that we don't have an enemy who's against us in the church and that we don't have an enemy who's trying to destroy you, destroy your marriage, to mess up everything uh, that's going on. If you don't think that there's an enemy, then you're going to go out into the world and you're going to get run over. You won't lose your salvation if you uh, love Christ, but you will be nullified and relegated to uh, a life of just going, why can't I seem to ever win? Half the time it's because you don't realize you're in a battle. Half the time it's because we go out and you know the old saying, well, look at this, you brought a knife to a gunfight. Well, we wonder sometimes why uh, our young people, they grow up in church, they come and they go to children's church and they learn all these wonderful stories and some of them may go to a Christian academy and others of them go to Young Life and to FCA and they have youth groups and they grow up and then we send them off to college and we can't figure out why it is that their faith is obliterated in college. Why do you think it is? It's because they don't realize that they're going up against an enemy who loves to have PhDs and doctoral dissertations all trying to debunk the truths and we give them felt Jesuses on a little felt board and say, just love him and you'll be okay with that. We send them out ill-equipped into a battle. We tell young people, well, if you love each other, just get married, it'll be fine. You'll make it through. And we don't tell them, you need to really understand that there is an epic battle going on trying to destroy this covenant of marriage that's been brought about in you. And for your children being raised up, there's a battle, parents, for your children's hearts. Do you realize that? And that we pray in such a way and that we live in such a way as always to guard and protect them and to raise them up in a sense to be warriors. I know this is very male language. And some of you women are going, I don't get it. But, but folks, this is the language and the imagery of Scripture. 
And this is what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, flip over to uh, Revelation chapter 12. And let's read together these verses again today. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was pregnant and was crying out in in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head's seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was She has a place prepared by God in which she will be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down and the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, who was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished from a time and times and half a time. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. And so here we have Genesis 12. Showing and depicting this battle that takes place. It's a battle that was first uh, talked about in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Where it says, and the seed of the woman and the seed uh, will put enmity between you and the woman. And between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And it says that the seed of the serpent would bruise Christ, the seed of the woman on the heel. But Christ would give the fatal blow and bruise him on the head. This is that working out of all time. This is that picture and illusion of what's taking place. And the first thing I want to do is define who the characters are uh, within this story. It's important to know who we're talking about. Uh, It speaks of two great signs. It says there's the sign of the woman who's giving birth and the sign of the red dragon. And the woman giving birth in your mind, your first thought was, oh, that's Mary. Um, And no, it's not the case. There are many who have tried to say that it is. But as you look at the imagery, it doesn't work that way. The best picture is that the woman who is depicted clothed with sun and moon and under her feet, and it's more of an illusion in that way, back into Genesis uh, 37. But it's a picture of Israel and the church. 
that it's from Israel and the church that the Messiah is born out, that the Savior of the world comes. And, and so it's not one individual person. So I want to make sure that you understand who we're talking about there. And you look back into Scripture, there's all kinds of places that the church or Israel is described uh, as a woman. You can write down some of these and go look at them later. Uh, Jeremiah 4.31 or Isaiah 52.2 or even into the New Testament in Galatians 4. Uh, we see this picture of the woman giving uh, of the church or Israel being a, depicted as a woman. And so you see now there's this coming out of God's covenant people, one who is to defeat the enemy. And so, again, stepping out of time, there's one who doesn't like that idea. And that would be, it says, the, the great red dragon. And I joked around and, um, that on your Christmas trees, a couple of you came up to me uh, last week and said, we actually have red dragons on our Christmas trees. I think that's a very appropriate ornament, if you think about it. It, it really depicts a bit of the Christmas story of what is taking place. For this red dragon, it says, is an enormous red dragon, and he's called an angry red dragon. And this dragon is spoken of, and you pick up in allusions of terms of Daniel chapter 7, and you go back, and this dragon, it says, is given a name. It says that he is Satan, he is the devil and the evil one, the deceiver and the accuser of God's people from all time. And his color is one that's given in red, and there's a reason for that. And it picks up, and we're not going to go to it much, but if you were to, to flip over to Revelation chapter 17, it speaks of, uh, of another great image, and it's the whore uh, who is there in that red, uh, and that one in, in the red horse in chapter 6. And it's always linked to blood. And it's always linked to a specific kind of blood, and that is the blood of the martyrs. And what we, we, we picture from this is that The image and the nature of this red dragon, of who Satan is, is always deathly in its nature. That that he's not there just to be kept as a little pet. You know, they're having a massive problem down in Florida in the Everglades right now with pythons and boa constrictors. Because these little pets that people got grew up to be what they were supposed to be. And they've then released them out, and they are doing what boa constrictors uh, and all are supposed to do. They're supposed to decimate and kill wildlife. And so in the Everglades now, basically they've said that almost all raccoons have been destroyed from there. Rabbits you can't find uh, anymore because they're acting by their nature. And it's the same way here. What's being depicted by this red dragon is its very nature. Let's say there were such things as dragons. And one came wandering up and just sort of moseying up to you. How would you respond to it? I'd run. I don't know about you. It's the same way with, I'm still fascinated by alligators. You can tell the new people I've been told that you're still fascinated by alligators and dolphins. Um, I still am. I think it's really cool that dolphins are out in the ocean. People go, yeah, we've lived here for all our life and it's just, you see them all the time. And alligators the same way. I remember as a kid learning a great picture about alligators. We were down in the Everglades, and we were at a place in a picnic shelter, and it had a big sign, Beware of Gators. Great place to have a picnic shelter with a big sign that said, Beware of Gators, and it was right on some water. And we were at one little table, and there was a family celebrating a birthday at another table, and they were a little closer to the water. And all of a sudden, out of the water came literally the largest alligator I've ever seen in my life, even to this day. The thing was absolutely massive. 
and it came sauntering up, and it stood at a little distance from this table, and one of the men thought it a good idea to give this alligator a hot dog. Well, what do you think that incited within this alligator? Oh, food must be where this guy is. So he no longer sauntered up. He came fast at the table. I've never seen 12 people jump up on top of a picnic table faster and food be thrown everywhere. Because why? They didn't respect the nature of the alligator. It was acting by its nature. And it's the same way with the red dragon. It has a nature, and it's not one to be toyed with and played with. That it says Satan has one, one desire, and that desire is to destroy you. And it's not to play with you. Now, he entices us in different ways, and we're going to look at that later. But it says that there's this red dragon, and that the reality of this red dragon is that he thinks that he's a king. Think about how he's described, that he has horns and seven of them and king and crowns and all of those things. He's a pretender who thinks that he rules and that he thinks that he has ultimate power, but he doesn't have ultimate power, but he does have some power. One writer put it this way, the power he has, and we are fools not to reckon with it. If we ignore Satan's power or we ignore Satan's malice, we do it at our peril. And to be found unprepared is to be guilty of presumption. Folks, we need to recognize who our enemies are. We need to know what's going on around us so that we can be best prepared for how to deal with these things. And so here you have this woman who is giving birth and you have this red dragon who is antagonistic towards the birth of this child. And you have to then ask the question, who's this child? And that's the third character that's given And he's given there in verse 12, 5. It says that it is a child who will reign with a rod of iron. And that easily is the depiction of Christ being born. That he's going to come. And so when we begin to think about Advent and Christmas, what are some of the thoughts that come to mind? Peace and tranquility. Nice things cooking sugar cookies and gingerbread houses and putting up a tree and hanging them up and the fire in the fireplace and family gathering around and your annual glass of eggnog. And you don't know, I've never wondered what they do with eggnog the rest of the year. Do they just not produce it? Um, Okay. Either my antihistamine is just, um, I'm out of it today. But uh, warm fuzzies. The coming of Christ elicits anything but warm fuzzies in the kingdom of evil. What it does is it incites it and it, it, it raises it up and it basically says this, we need to destroy that. And so you see depicted through here that the red dragon, there's a battle that takes place. And it says that he sweeps out his tail and takes out a third of the stars of heaven. And many people again go back to, oh, see, that's Satan when he knocked down all of the angels or a third of the angels and they came down. And that's not really the picture that's being talked about here. This is a picture of him trying within the course of the church history before Christ came to destroy the church because he knew what? He knew who the woman was. And he said, if I can destroy Israel, if I can destroy God's people, and then this Messiah who's going to come from God's people can't come. Does that make sense? That outside of time, so in all of history, do you know what the Old Testament is? It is a picture of a battle. 
It is a battle of God's people and God saying, I am going to keep my covenant people together and a remnant will always be there, but there is one who's going to continually try to destroy them, to try to kill them and to break them down. And that's the evil one. Why? Why would Satan want to destroy Israel of the Old Testament? I just gave you the hint. Because if he could, Jesus couldn't come. And we were just talking in, I get my water. Oh, I don't have a water. Matthew, would you give me a water, please? Um, we were talking in, in Genesis, looking at chapters 48 and 49, that the sons uh, of Israel, the 12 sons of Israel, they weren't great sons. And, and if you think about who these guys were, they were despicable in many ways. And there was one Judah who did some really heinous stuff. It says that he had incest with his sister Tamar and that he was part of the conspiracy to kill his brother Joseph and to put him into slavery and to do all of this. Now think about where that comes from. Where did that idea come from, do you think, that if we can get into God's covenant people and mess up those sons through whom the promise is supposed to come, then God will destroy them because God always judges sin and evil in the world and we can destroy Judah, then he won't come. But guess what happens in chapter 49? Judah is blessed because you realize that God is going to preserve the lineage of his son Christ to come into the world, the lion of Judah. Thank you, sir. I apologize. I've been wrestling with this for a couple of weeks. And so there is this battle that is taking place historically. And then the battle took place because guess what happened? Mary got pregnant, and Christ was coming. And so did Satan go, oh, well, we, we can't do anything about that. What happened then? It says that he was then taken and put on the cross. And guess what Satan thought? The red dragon thought then. We've won. We've won. We've defeated him. We've killed him on the cross. But then what happens? It says right in this story. It says that he was whisked away and taken up to God. What do you think that's a picture of? The resurrection and the ascension of Christ. That Satan again thought that he won, thought that he did it, but God prevailed once again and took Christ and seated him in the heavenly places above all rule and authority, safe there, untouched and untouchable to Satan. But Satan was trying hard before that point, wasn't he? What did he do to try to get Jesus to fall? Well, he lived within humanity. But then there were certain temptations. And don't you think this red dragon, the evil one, was thinking, if I can get him here, if I can just get him to sin, why would it have been so good if Jesus would have sinned? There'd be no salvation. He had to be absolutely perfect under the law, that he couldn't have fallen in those ways. And so there's all of this battle going on, and now Christ is raised up. And he's seated, and so this battle has taken place and going on. And so in heaven now, guess what happens? Now it says that the archangels come around and they battle against the devil, and it says that he is cast out of heaven. And guess what? Does he just say, I'm done? No. He says, I can't get the seed of the woman. I can't get Messiah. I haven't been able to destroy him. And I know that I'm defeated But I'm going to do everything in my power to destroy all of her other offspring. Who are all of the other offspring of the church? Look in your seat. It's you. And I guess very simply today, what I want to say to you 
Do you realize that you have an enemy? Do you realize that you have, there is an entity and a true entity in the world that does not like you? For some of you, that is devastating news because you've worked your whole life to have everybody like you. And you think, well, I haven't done anything to pick a fight with Satan. Guess what? You didn't have to. If you love Jesus, you have picked a fight with Satan. You realize that, don't you? And that he isn't just going to let you be. That you just don't get to sit idly by. But he has a desire for you. And his desire is to somehow mitigate your effectiveness or if he can, take your very life. That he wants to come after you. And I know that may not be good news and you're going to go home. But, and I don't want you to become paranoid and look for a Satan and devil behind every tree. But I do want you to be prepared because Paul seemed to say this an awful lot in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 6, what is Paul talking about? Warfare. Of what type of nature? Spiritual. Now we're from a tradition in the church, in the Presbyterian tradition, that we diminish sadly the work of the Spirit in the lives of, of people. That we, we focus so much on salvation and, and, and how we have our theology there that we have lost uh, our view of the work of the Spirit and of the spiritual realm. That most of us live our lives without considering the spiritual nature of things that are going on. Uh, that we don't ever talk in terms of those things. Paul says, your battle, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities Against kingdoms. You realize that, right? How many of you have had issues with other people? Anybody? A few of you. Yeah, I have two. Now, if I'm having an issue with my wife in our marriage, is that an issue between two human beings? Sure it is. It's two fallen human beings who are having issues. What else do I need to know about that? Is there a spiritual dynamic to this? Is there a spiritual dynamic to the relationship between a husband and a wife? Yes, there is. And if there's something going on and we're not at peace with one another and we're called to be at peace with one another, who do you think is stirring the pot? Martin Luther said our greatest three enemies are what? Anybody remember? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And so in our battles with one another, we need to see that it's not just between me and you. There's something greater going on. And if there's something greater going on, maybe we need to call into helping us somebody greater than ourselves. That we have a third person of the Trinity who wants to help fight the spiritual battles that we're engaged in. And what I really want to do, and all I want to do, this is a, a, a one today that's about to end quickly, is this. I just want you to acknowledge your need of something and someone greater than you to fight a battle that's greater than you. To call on Christ and his spirit to help you fight against an enemy who it says is a deceiver, who says is a pretender, and who is bloodthirsty. To look and to say, if you're going to live this Christian life, It will be a life of battles. It will be a life of battles. And therefore, you need to know how to fight the battles. You need to know who your enemies are. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you need to know this. 
What did I tell you was the, the key to the book of Revelation? So we know the end. Christ wins. The devil's been cast out and he's been thrown down. And what we find in the middle of it is we fight a defeated enemy. And sometimes the best way to fight a defeated enemy is to do this. Remind him that he's defeated. (coughs) Remind him that he's defeated. And even use his own tactics against him. Oftentimes in my life, things happen. And one of the ways that we can address them in our lives is this. Hey, Satan, thanks for bringing that back to my attention because it reminds me of the absolute incredible work of Christ in my life who overcame that. So thank you for reminding me of my past, that I'm no longer bound by my past, but you've redeemed my past and you've made me now a new creation in Christ Jesus that I don't have to be bound by those things. So thank you for bringing that back up. Use his tactics against him, but always going back. And other times when you're weak and when you're about to fall, call on one who's stronger than you. Quit being so macho, men, and and thinking that you can do it all on your own. That we call on one and say, I'm weak, and I'm going to be in trouble if I do this. That we're not just okay. That your marriages aren't just okay. That, That things just aren't okay. That your kids just aren't okay. One of the things I hope that we have in our church is a real church that says we've got a real enemy, and we need a real champion to fight against that enemy. We need a, a real warrior to do that. You know it's true in your own lives. And one of the things I think that turns away uh, the non-believer more than anything else is the dishonesty within the believer. You know what I find with people who aren't churched when I talk to them about me and I talk to them about my life and my marriage and my kids and, and my own career and things is they say, Wow. You, you don't sugarcoat it much, do you? What good does it do to sugarcoat? <laughs> I've screwed up royally. I, I've messed up. I'm cruddy as a husband half the time and not really good as a dad the other part of the time. I've got some good things that I do too and God's given me some really good gifts and I've used those here, but I've made some really bad decisions and I've done this and if you knew what I was like back in high school and you knew what I was like in college and you know what my own heart is like sometimes even now and the stuff that I got going on, but you know what I know? I know about this really great God who loves to redeem broken, busted up lives like mine. And I've got an enemy who's constantly at me and I have to keep fighting him and be aware of him constantly all the time. And I'd like to tell you about this great savior who'll fight your battles for you. For the person who's outside of the church, they're really engaged with that. Versus the life that says, tell me about your God. Oh, he's good. Just, just come to church and you'll get your ticket. You'll get your ticket to ride. You don't have to get on the bus anytime soon. But when you're ready to get on the bus, you can get on. That's never what it's about. But it's a battle that we're in. And it's a battle that you need to be prepared for. And so, in my ramblings this morning, I hope you saw a couple of things. One, we have an enemy. Two, he's a defeated enemy. But the third thing is this, be on your guard. Be on your guard. And be prepared to not only fight for your own hearts, but for those of those who are around you. And we're going to see that this Christ, what he brings in the victory, we're going to talk about that next week. But what he brings is peace and life and hope and things that transcend this world. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you today that you are good. We thank you for huge imageries in scripture, some that are even confusing to us. 
but I pray, God, that we'd understand these things in the most simple of ways, that there is a grand story that gives all of our stories meaning, and that, that we are engaged in a battle, and it's a pitched battle at times, and you're going to be our strength, and you're going to be our hope. So, Father, we praise you today for that. Thank you for Christ for defeating the evil one. Thank you uh, that he rose from the dead and that he ascended into heaven, that one day he's going to come back again. Thank you that we can celebrate his coming in this season. For, Father, we praise you. We give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.